Hello, Doug. And hello, Karen. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I know, me too. We have a very interesting episode to talk about. This was a... I mean... So, I mean, okay, just to peel back the curtain, Karen and I spoke before this recording, before she had watched the episode, and <laughs> I basically was like, knowing how you felt about where these storylines have been going towards the end of the season, I just don't think you're going to like this. And she already wasn't having the best day. And so she's like, oh, great. So, moment of truth, and I think I already know. How did you like the episode, Karen? Oh, for God's sake. Okay. Um, it was terrible. It was really <laughs> there, But I will say there were moments of... Um, entertainment because we had some Sid going on and you know I always love a little Sid and we had a lot of Amanda and um and Michael together which is kind of turning into a good time yeah we'll talk um, about it, I think a bit more but maybe we're sort of like you know scraping the bottom of the barrel here the thing that okay so we'll dive into this more when we dig into the episode but there was this sort of weird gothic, you know, because a chunk of it took place in this mental hospital, Broadmoor, or whatever, Willowbrook, or whatever the hell it's called, up by in Sacramento. And, and so it was like this weird, like, combination of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and I really do feel like they, like, the movie might have, like, inspired the filming a little bit, so... Yeah, it, I mean, they stole from it, yes. They stole from it, yeah. So it was, it was like this weird mishmash of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest meets Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. Did you have a feeling... Did you... I mean, like, I was getting this sort of gothic Frankensteinian feeling from the episode, too. And it was all... And it and and it's Melrose Place. Like, <laughs> like what, is, what is this doing on Melrose Place? You know? Like, that's, like, what I kept thinking. What is this doing on Melrose Place? And then, you know, we had Peter playing, once again, like, this sort of femme fatale role as he's, like, playing seductress to get himself out of a scrape, like he kind of did with Alicia. Um, and the whole thing was very weird. I feel like you're being more charitable to this episode than I am, and you hated it. And I hated it. All right, so so you guys know what we're talking about. It's season four, episode 32. Full, Full metal, metal Betsy. Betsy. Okay, so my next question, because I couldn't see it, is next week the finale? It sure is. So I've got two hours next week. Um, It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. Without commercials. So it's so like, yes. it's basically like. It's a double. It's, a double. it's like watching all three Godfather films is what it's going to be like. You really hate this show right now, Karen. <laughs> like, honestly, I am questioning going on. Okay, nice. I'm, I'm going to lay it out there. I'm questioning going on. Okay. I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy, and I will go on. But there was a point when I was watching this going, this is futile. Why are I we I will doing say, this? this is what I think will happen. I think season five turns things around in a new direction. It does not go back to the way it was before, but it gets better, to quote Dan Savage. Well, for fuck's sake, I don't know how much worse it can get. Well, you say that, but then I the think... The next week's then, episode happens. <laughs> so I, I don't remember everything that happens next week. I barely remembered everything that happened this week from the original airing. But I do remember where things end, and at least... There's some degree of excitement in that, like, things are gearing up for finale land. Like, at least, like, you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and things get a little bit more heightened. Just because, like, they're they're trying to grab their cliffhangers and, and whatnot. All right. So, I guess, how do we dive into this? I guess we should kind of, you know, I mean, the n kind of nice thing about this is there were some intersecting plots a bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and Matt and Joe and the Dr. Feelgood there, whatever the frig his name is. O'Malley, but, O'Malley. but it's like feel bad, but yeah. Yeah, Dr. Feel Bad. Um, so there were a few intersecting plot points, but for the most part, um, yeah. So, uh, but it, it really was like Peter was kind of the main storyline. Yeah, Peter is definitely the main threat here. 
Um, and, you know, like a year ago at this time, season-wise, we were sort of in a similar position. Peter wasn't around then, but we were in between spurts. But it was all about Kimberly, and it was all about her freaking out, and she was even living out of a motel room then, and it was building up to the bombing and everything. And it was fascinating, and it was riveting, and it was campy, and it was awesome. And we basically got, like, loads of Kimberly wreaking havoc specifically to Peter. We've got Kimberly's new mental health issues going on, and it's dreadful. Yeah. And even Marsha Clark can't save it. Marsha well, Clark. Marcia Cross can't save us, but Marsha <laughs> Cross also can only do so much. Oh my God, where did that come from? <laughs> Why do I have OJ on the on the brain here? You no, know, that was in the ether then, so maybe you're living in the mid '90s. Maybe, maybe I just have sort of like gone back there. Yeah. So I, that was the one thing I was noticing. Like she is giving it her all, and she is trying so hard, and I am just like, oh my God, Marsha, you're not saving this. Yeah, I mean, because it's not fun. I don't even know if the writers were having fun doing this. Do you know how sometimes you can tell? You're like, oh, they must have been kicking themselves when they came up with this. I don't think that was happening with these stories. I, it I feels think they perfect. thought they were good. I think they All feel earnest. See, I guess I think of it slightly differently. I think they were trying to top what they had done before. And instead, they just sort of overextended their hand in terms of the campiness, the outrageousness, because it's not. Oh, I see what you mean, because, I, because I'm not reading camp at all. And I'm like, did they go? I, I just assumed they didn't want to be campy anymore. Well, I do think that's true starting in season five. But right now, and let's talk about this again after the finale. I still think they were. Okay. Because I'm not but, getting, however, like I said, I'm not getting a camp read. I'm getting, you know, again, because I'm sort of like seeing that this kind of like mishmash of what was going on in Peter's storyline, for example, with the Frankenstein meets Cuckoo's Nest. And I just felt like all of a sudden the writers decided that they were like gunning for the Emmy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think they knew that Emmy was out of reach. But... <laughs> like, they were like, we're going to make this art, and, and, and we're going to get an Emmy. Well, and... it's tricky, because cause there's, like, a, like, an idiosyncratic kind of mix of, of serious and not serious threads, because we felt like the Jane Rape storyline, and we had that child abuse storyline, and those are serious issues. Right. And I think, like, the Peter thing is just so ridiculous that I think I think they were striving for camp through and through with that like you're seeing like a ripoff of Cuckoo's Nest and Frankenstein and I think they're just like let's take Snake Pit and Cuckoo's Nest and just really lose our minds pun intended um but okay let's dive in do we okay. want to get do we want to get like the side storylines out of the way yeah let's just get those done because the, the, those are the ones that don't have really much interaction at all so right. i mean let's joe matt dr o'malley okay great so when we left matt um last last week he had been trying to give the street kid an iv and the kid kind of like they got into a scuffle after he had stabbed the kid with the iv but it never went in and matt fell over and the iv the needle punctured his skin and he now has been stuck with a used needle exactly and joe and the doctor are starting to kind of date right so joe yeah. leaves her apartment and she sees matt coming back from a run super sweaty and looking awful and she takes it feels his forehead and he's burning up yeah. and he's like mm, it, it, it's fine i'm just gonna go inside yeah i just have the flu right so but like, he looks who, who who runs around L.A. to try and feel better when you have the flu, but whatever. Um, then Dr. O'Malley is at the complex because he's going to take Joe out on a date. And I guess yeah, Joe, it's the following oh, evening, I guess. I guess it's that evening it's, or whatever. I think it's, yeah, the morning was when she saw Matt, yeah. and then it's later that night. And then, and I guess she must have told him something about Matt, and he wasn't a monster. Because on their way out, she's like, oh, I just want to check on Matt. And he's like, sounds good. Matt basically opens the door in his robe and collapses into their arms. Yes. And so we have the quick call 911. 
right. moment, which apparently they do because the next time we see Matt, everybody's at the hospital. Yeah, and Matt's in the hospital bed, and the doctor's like, can you think of any reason why you might be demonstrating these symptoms? And Matt's like, uh, well, I didn't want to tell you, but I, I injected myself with that little Jerry's kid's needle. <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want you to think that I was an incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the doctor is like, Well, now I do think you're incompetent. And yeah, it's Joe like really the worst mad. bedside manner you've ever seen. Yeah, and Joe gets really mad at him and she's Rightly like so. You're a jerk. Yeah. And Which, he's yeah, not even like, nice about He's not even nice about it then. He's like, he's a terrible doctor. He can't take care of himself. How dare he? I can't believe he did this. Right, right. And Joe's just like, well, you're a jerk. And then she, like, kind of flounces away. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's also when he has the nurse, who we're also going to keep seeing, I believe, um, for the next couple of years. He's like, call LAPD and have them find this kid who's on the run. Right, right. So, um so then I think he shows up, Dr. O'Malley shows up, right? Yeah, goes back to Joe's. Goes back to Joe's with flowers in hand, and she basically gives him what for. Uh, again, rightly so. Yeah, rightly so. And she's like, you were mean to my friend, and that's really shitty. And he's human, and it was a mistake, and it was an accident. And you need to, like, you know, cut him some slack. And O'Malley was basically like, no, that no, I won't. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, look, I said, LAPD, find this kid. What do you want from me? He's like, Matt was being a bad med student or whatever. Right. And that's, right. that's basically it. And that's basically it, yeah. Um, and then we go back to the hospital with them because Joe's like, Joe's like, I'm not going on a date with you. I'm going to the hospital to meet Matt, and I'm going to give him the flowers you gave me. Yeah. And so I guess he maybe, I guess, followed her there because it seems like it was the same day. But now he's back in his doctory outfit. Yeah, I thought it was the next day. Maybe it was probably, the next day. But, I mean, the number was time warp within time. I know. It, it doesn't matter. Um, and and they, they found the street kid, the good news. They found the Jerry, news. The, the bad, bad news. news. <laughs> Jerry died. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not funny, but he wasn't real, and it's just so stupid. Right. So, so they find Jerry um, just just before he expires. Um, so they're able to give him a spinal tap and confirm that he has spinal meningitis. Right. So AIDS scare, which I mean. Nobody said on nobody said so on the show, but given the time period and how they've treated Matt's character over the past four seasons, yeah. I was completely expecting it to be like, oh look, let's yeah. give the gay character AIDS. Yeah, so it's not AIDS, but basically a metaphor. For basically her. a metaphor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like so, the dirty needle, you know. So, so good news is Matt you get to have a spinal tap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, and the other, the other good news is Dr. O'Malley says that they've caught it early enough where he has a very good chance for survival. Yeah. And the difference is this time, Dr. O'Malley does actually demonstrate compassion. Yes. And Joe makes moony eyes. Yeah. And, um, and then he comes back to the apartment one more time. Yeah, I was going to say, is there another scene after that? I don't remember. At the very end, he comes back to the apartment and talks to Joe a little bit and basically, again, says how much he cares for her. Um, and this time she takes him in. Okay. You know, I hope that they work out. Yeah, I hope so, too. If anything, to get her to move off of Melrose Place and get the hell out of these storylines. Well, <laughs> funny you say that. We'll talk again next episode. Oh, I thought we had one more season with her. No, we have one more episode, so brace yourself. Well, you know what? I'm glad Joe is going to get, I hope, I hope, I'm assuming, I hope they give Joe her happily ever after. I think that she deserves it. Yeah, I don't, there's like not much left for me to spoil, so I won't say anything more. Um... 
but she kind of does. Okay, good. After all the angst and drama that they've put yeah. her through, um, she totally deserves the happily ever after. So here's the question. Did she leave Melrose Place because she had another job, or did they boot her off because the storylines were just getting completely sad? I always assumed it was her choice. I think everyone who left the show opted out. Um, they didn't like boot anybody. Players. I think because they, I think they wanted to keep that show running. I don't think anyone was a problem. I think they all were just like, we want to expand beyond this nighttime soap and see what else we can do. And pretty much none of them succeeded. And I think Daphne Zuniga was the first one who was like, I'm tired of these stories. I'm tired of this show. Write me out. I think that's what happened. Okay. And, you know, I don't blame her. I'm tired everything, of stories, Everything too. I read at the time of, like, our main characters, our OGs, if you will, leaving, was always like, I've chosen to leave. It's so funny when you think about all of these people that have had successful shows and they've left, um, like, you know, even, like, with what happened with Downton Abbey and... Um, because Michelle Dockery, did she leave early? No, no she didn't. She no, but he him. did. Dan he Stevens did. left. Right. And his career kind of, eh. I think he sucks. Yeah. Well. Um, and I think, and honestly, it, he's not totally to blame for this, but his departure really did ruin the show. Because they were really hamstrung by the timing of what they were doing, like, there was nothing they could do, spoiler alert, but kill his character off if he wanted to leave. And that right. really limited the storylines available to uh, Michelle Dockery. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's had like three memorable movie roles in the eight years since. And I think only one of those movies made money because it was the Beauty and the Beast revival. So whatever. Yeah, it just feels like anytime people are, on, you know, people are on a hot show, actors are on a hot show and they leave the career never quite goes the way that they envisioned. And here's my yes, but the one example I can think of where I think someone kind of got the shaft in the process was Shelley Long when she left Cheers. Because mm. people were like, how could you leave Cheers? You think you're going to be a movie star? And of course she wasn't. Um, but everything that I have read, and I love, love, love Cheers, especially the early seasons, is that they were all assholes to her. And so she oh, gave it really? five years. Yeah, like, she was the only one that was, like, a serious actress, and they came late, they drank on set, like, they were, like, vicious to her, and they always, like, kind of, like, iced her out because she was the only one who wasn't like that. Really? And she was finally, and she was finally like, all right, then screw it. I've been in some movies, and none of you are nice to me, so okay, how many more times am I going to do the will they, won't they thing? Goodbye. Oh, and I'm end, so disappointed to hear that. I never knew that. And her that. career, you know, they did an oral history on the 30th anniversary going back in 2012. And every time they tried to get people to open up about it, they were like, who cares? It's a long time ago. No, no one ever says anything like, yeah, she was an asshole and we hated her. They're just like, you know, it was a long time ago, which is kind of like, we don't want to admit we were wrong. She just didn't fit is kind of the way I see it. But Ted Danson has admitted that, like, yeah, there was one day we decided to just play hooky and none of us told her. And there was, which doesn't just affect her, but everyone on set, all the crew. Right. Um, and, you know, Woody Harrelson and what's his name? George Wendt have talked about that was real beer that we were drinking and we would flub our lines all the time and it pissed her off. And it's like, well, rightly so. It's so weird because these are people that are like like stage actors like George Wendt, Kelsey Grammer. Like yeah. these are yeah. these are people that are stage I don't think actors. Kelsey Grammer actually was part of the problem there, but yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, because I just said he Kelsey. had his. I mean, he had his own issues going on, which is why I say that. But. Uh, right. Like I know he had his own addiction issues and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so, exactly. but like you know, like thinking about George Wendt, thinking about you know the, these are people with these like were like character stuff. actors that had no yeah. Yeah. Can I can I tell you something funny about um, Coach? Yeah. Nick Colasanto. Yeah. He was my dad's best friend's uncle. I th now that you say that, I think you might have told me that because I remember thinking that's so cool. Yeah. For any of you wild. that haven't seen Cheers, 
and are enduring COVID alone, watch, watch. All of Tears. Like, so good. Get it? Like, dive in now. Find it on streaming now. It's amazing. And Coach Nicholas Colasanto was amazing and so sweet yeah. and died too young. Yeah. Well, my dad's best friend just died a few months ago, so there you go. <laughs> well, then I believe they're hanging out together somewhere. I'm sure they are, and I hope that he's yelling, Norm! Yeah, I hope so, too. I hope they both are. Yeah. So, okay, moving so on. To go back from shows that are amazing. To, to shows that are sucking. <laughs> All right, so I guess Again, we should. we don't do this podcast to talk shit about the show. We, well, right now we, we are. We're trying to build it up because yeah. we love it. But we just got to, there's no other way to assess it. These storylines suck. Yeah, this is like the worst season ever. Okay. Who who do we have now? Okay, let's do Billy. Yeah. And Jake. Okay, so this was another one where it was kind of like this weird. It was just weird. So we know last episode, Billy, we haven't seen a whole lot of Billy, but what we have seen of him has been him moaning to Jake about how Allison doesn't love him anymore. Right, which like for good reason. You know, and Jake himself is mo- kind of mo- moping, not moaning, but he's moping about Jane. And he's moping about Jane to Allison. Yes. So we've got these three characters and they're all mopey. Except for yeah, Allison. I would say who's Allison kind of is the least together. mopey of the three. Yeah. yeah, like Allison's kind of doing okay. Like she's waitressing at shooters. She's having this sort of like, you know, come to Jesus like moment. Seeing the light, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's like trying to figure her shit out. And um and stupid Billy is still like kind of mm-hmm. chasing her and um and she the last time, you know, she she talked about it with with Jake last week, she said something like I miss his friendship. So, she's not saying I miss Billy as my boyfriend or my fiance, my to be husband, my lover, my roommate even. She's saying I miss the friendship, and that is something completely different. Indeed. Um, but Billy wants what they had before Brooke, before Haley, before Brooke died, before, you know, he wants to go back to, I guess, season one. And um, Allison ain't having that. No, Allison's good where she is. Yeah. And how can Billy go back to season one, Billy, when he's still being. Billy, bastard Billy, when they go out on this date. Yeah, exactly. He, he has not fully rewound the hands of time. Right. So I, I, I guess it's, I guess this happens off stage, where Allison agrees to go out to dinner with Billy. Yeah. And they meet. At they shooters. meet up at Shooters. Yeah, and she's wearing this red dress, and Jake comments about how, "Wow, you look great," and she's like, "Well, that's because I'm not wearing an apron." And she's and she's like, well, Billy's taking me to dinner in Beverly Hills. And then Billy shows up and he's like, OK, let's go. I got an earlier reservation. Yeah, like a dick from the start. Right. And so Jake is kind of like, have fun, you kids. But like, I thought he looked a little sad. I think you're onto something. I thought he looked a little sad. So now we're going to go to Beverly Hills, where Allison is actually saying to having this conversation about Billy. And she's like diving in deep and talking about, well, you know, I've left D&D and I'm doing this real soul searching and this has been really great. And I'm trying to figure out who I am and what I want to be. And Billy is totally not playing it, paying any attention whatsoever. No, and at all. Kills a bottle of champagne. Yeah. So like, he, like he babbles about how he wants he can make room for her back at D&D. And it's like, that's not what she said she wants now. Right. Right. And there are like ad people there. And Billy's kind of like. He's making eyes at, like, potential clients and yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, he's just being, like, a dick. And Allison, like, gets up and leaves. And she, and it's like, you know what? Good for her. Way good for her. I mean, this is a side of Allison that we haven't seen in three and a half, three and three-quarter seasons until now. And I love it. I, I am here too. for it. I am, too. This was, was pretty awesome. Like, I was pretty happy, like, with, with what was going on with Allison. I mean, the rest of it was a little, like, oh. Um... But, yeah, she basically, uh, oh, but during this drunken dinner, um, Billy lets it slip that he has been talking about her to Jake. 
Right. And so that's our entree to her knocking on his door the next morning and being on Jake's door the next morning and being like, stop talking about me to Billy. And then she turns around and walks away. Like, you're my friend. And what I tell you has to be in confidence. And then she turns around and walks away. And she, oh, and she said something like, oh, and don't sell, don't set me up on any more dates. And then she walks, then she walks away. And that leaves Jake smiling. Yeah, and I mean, I almost felt like I'd missed something because I don't really think Jake divulged anything. But but I understand that Allison's like, stop talking about me behind my back. Right. So here's the thing. Last week, right, Jake was all moany about Jane and Richard and what happened between Jane and Richard and how Jane was raped. And then she's sort of like rejected Jake because of the whole rape thing and like... He's just, like, a broken-down man last episode, and this episode, he is all He's, about like, it. just normal Jake. Yeah, yeah, and th- there's so no, there's no, they don't connect Jane and Jake at all in no this episode. Call back. No callback, no callback. And there's, there's not even any Richard in this episode. They're just two siloed storylines right now. Yeah. And I thought that that was really weird and really jarring. And I don't know if they're going to, I mean, obviously they'll have to converge at some point because Richard is not over yet. But that J- But I'm wondering, like, are they even going to like, or are they just going to pretend Jake and Jane never even happened? They won't do that. Oh, okay. That's okay. all I'll say. They won't okay. do that. Okay. Just, I wasn't sure where they were going with that because no, it just felt just, like it was completely just forgotten. Just for right now, though, at least, they're definitely heading in opposites. Not opposite, but very divergent storyline directions. Okay. Um, so, and that's, that's it for the Billy, Jake, Allison stuff. And I think we can actually, though there is a little bit of overlap, I think we can mostly just go right into Jane and Sid. Right. So, yeah. so Jane is in a boutique. Um, and, and, and the, she's looking for a sports store because she tells the lady, I need a black knit cap and she's some like, gloves. She's like, I need a knit cap and some gloves. <laughs> she might as well say, and some cyanide and a hatchet. Like, what? <laughs> so, something to note is that the saleswoman that she talks to at the boutique will become. Uh, a regular cast member at the end, uh, starting next season. I was kind of wondering about that. I felt like they were headed in that direction. So, I mean, as luck would have it, um, the sporting goods store closed a while ago, um, but the current boutique is going to be up for sale soon. That's right. She she says, the, the saleswoman, uh, Sam, says that the owners are divorcing and they're going to sell the place and you know, Jane's eyes get real big and she sees her next future or her whatever, her next chapter. Um, and so then the next time we see her is in Michael's office. I'm not even sure where things are with Michael in terms of all the financing and who has a percentage of what and who has to sign off on what. But while Michael is overwhelmed with other things going on that we'll get to next, uh, Jane interrupts to see him talk about the money stuff. Right. I think she says, I need this to start a new future. Right. And she basically says, you owe me, Michael. And Michael's like, I don't owe you. Sid owes you. Get the money from her. And she's been taking 10% of my business anyway because of what she did to you. And then he basically lets it out that... Yeah, he spills the beans. He spills the beans that Sid is the one that dosed her champagne, dosed Jane's champagne, that led her to basically all of this yeah it feels like forever ago that that new year's eve doesn't it or that that, what, was that was that the season sure was jesus christ felt like that was last season no it was it was probably 700 episodes ago but it was still season four. Oh my god this is like melrose place in the time of covid <laughs> it's just dragging it is dragging Oh my god, apropos, we're watching season four in the time of COVID. Maybe that's part of the problem. Oh, wow. That's not, not the full reason, though. <laughs> so, um, so now Jane's got something on her on her sister once again. 
Yeah. Who, by the way, is uh, went to the airport to see Bobby's pine coffin off to Florida. Yeah, wearing all black. Wearing all black. You know, it was really nice to see that they at least, um, you know, didn't just, well, didn't just like drop Bobby like a hot potato. Like, where's Alicia? Nobody mentioned her. No, she's still in that hospital room in the body bag. (laughs) She must still be in the body bag. So, um, where are we now with, uh, with Sid? Oh, so, so So, Michael tells Sid that Jane knows. Yeah, and of course, Laura Layton has this great scene where she, she reacts all wide-eyed now because God knows what's going to happen now that Jane has that information. Right. Um, and, and I thought that she did a, you know, a very ballsy and kind of unsaid mood move is that she, like, went to Jane's apartment and knocked on the door and was like, yeah. we need to talk. And, and, I, and I kind of felt like that was a very unsaid move. Yeah, because it, she wasn't being devious. She was being honest. Right. Or and was she, planning to be, yeah. Yeah, or like, you know, and was like going to go talk to her sister about how she like basically tried to kill her. But like, it seems like, you know, Sid's like the avoid and evade woman, you know? I mean, she's constantly like scheming. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's always a story and there's always a ploy. Yeah. Yeah, and there was no, it was like Sid wasn't going to try and scheme her way out of it. She's just like, okay, I need to talk to you about this. Yeah, and, and of course they don't talk about it. No, because Jane's cleaning Jane, her gun. Yeah, Jane's cleaning her gun very calmly. Um, and and so, so Sid, like, backs out of the apartment. Yes, it's like, okay, you're going to shoot me, so I'm going to leave now. And then, um, and then the next time we see the two of them together, Jane kind of corners her at Melrose Place and is like, okay, now we need to talk and we're going to have a serious conversation. And she sits Sid down and she's like, and she tells her what Richard did. Yeah. And Sid is, of course, actually very sympathetic and very sort of sister-like with her. And then, you know, and, and what can I do? And Jane is like, well, you're going to be my alibi and I'm going to kill Richard. Yeah. She's and you're going to be my alibi and my co-conspirator. My co-conspirator. And I'm going to kill Richard. Yeah. And Sid's like, oh. Now, I actually think this is a good way to connect back to an old storyline. Where, especially in, like, soap plotting, okay, Jane found out about what Sid did, and she blackmails her into helping her for this. That is a good callback to what happened before. We didn't lose the thread completely. We just use it now in our new storyline. I think, like, because otherwise, all right, Sid doesn't have to get involved in what's going to happen to Richard, but this makes sense to me. It's a stupid storyline, but the way they used the past to work on the present in this story works for me. Right. Like, they finally, they, like, at least that's that story of Sid dosing the cocktail, dosing the champagne, there, it felt like there was a through line there. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, they might have thought about so it. So for that, yeah. Yeah. Although I think um, it was an accident. I mean, probably. It was probably just what they had. But I think... And I could be wrong. I think Sid and Jane are going to get together. I mean, excuse me, are going to get along for the rest of their time together on the series. Well, that would be a refreshing change. Yeah. I mean, I think it's mostly just because they have other different storylines going on. But I think they get along. Well, that's good. I mean, I don't know. I like Sid. I always felt sorry for her. I think she's. I love her. I love her. I mean, we we adore her. I just want them to use her more. I just want them to use her better. Yeah, yeah, but she's a delight. Yeah, and she's a delight. and and well, Jane is going through some stuff. Yeah, and I will say, Laura Layton continued to delight um, in this in this episode I mean, in in the so moments great. we had with her. Yeah, absolutely great. Which were still too infrequent. Yeah, I mean. We basically everything we've talked about so far is a side story, which means that many of our original cast members are being ill used, shafted, shoved to the side for this Frankenstein meets nurse, nurse ratchet horrendousness going on with with like, you know, Amanda and Michael chasing their tails 
I, like Pretty in much. and out of the story. It was it was just stupid. Yeah. So now we move right into it and trudge through. Oh, what what is there even to say? Um, so Michael uh, Peter is still stuck in that um, hospital, Willowbridge, Willowbridge, or something like that. Yeah. Um, where Kimberly is the acting head for a week while the guy is on a trip to Hawaii. Um, and she's been giving him. He's I guess he's been getting electroshock treatments, and um, she's just messing with him. Yeah. You know she's got him sedated. She's got him restrained um she's convinced the entire staff that he's dangerous um and it's amazing to me that the entire staff is like you are right yeah i mean they're all like hoodwinked by her yeah the best medical professionals in the state and they're all like yeah listen to her yep she knows she knows she knows what she's talking about and and it's so clear that she has this vendetta against peter yeah you know so clear and I mean, I guess they don't check IDs either because she keeps calling him Mr. Peters. And I know um, they're like, no, there's no Peter Burns here. No. Yeah, yeah, nope, you're not a real doctor, Mr. Burns, uh, Peter, Mr. Peters. Um, but he might have that one ally with Nurse Priscilla Presley. Yes, Nurse Benson, I think is her name, but we can just call her Priscilla Presley. Yeah, and so yeah. it seems like she's softening towards him, and he is like working it with his charm. Totally. And he's trying to seduce her so he can seduce his way out of this situation that he's in, just like he seduced Alicia so that he could bring down Bobby and get Amanda back. I'm really tired of Peter being the femme fatale. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't I viewed it as like, oh yeah, Peter can woo anyone, but I didn't view him as the femme fatale. But you're right. I mean, I mean, the whole thing is just so ridiculous that he's like, you know, and, and poor Priscilla Presley was sort of like, you know, in this moment of weakness where he's like basically using her so that she will give him a pill instead of a needle so that he won't take the pill. So he'll be alert because she he's like convincing her, break me out so we can go to your house and have sex and then like bring me back for the next morning. They'll never know I'm gone. Yeah. You know, that's his, that's the rationale. And she has this moment where she's like, ever since I got out of nursing school, this has been my job and I'm lonely. I'm so lonely, Peter. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, very Harlequin type stuff going on right here, which I kind of like. I just thought it's still dumb, but okay. But it, it had that sort of horror movie lighting, which is where you're getting, I was it kind did, of getting that, right? Uh, yeah. It was, it was such a, this was just such a strange storyline. And meanwhile. But I think by horror movie lighting, you might also be thinking it's cheap. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're absolutely right. It probably had nothing to do with being (laughs) on a horror movie. It was just they didn't want to up the lighting budget. Duh. Um, So Priscilla, Nurse Priscilla is weak and, and, and lonely and breaks Peter out by giving him a skeleton key. Um, she undoes his his restraints, and she's like, wait an hour until I'm gone and come meet me in the back, back gate. Yep. Yep. And here's the skeleton key. So Peter is able to slip out of his room, but as he's Except, walking by, yeah. <laughs> what's his name, Louie, his buddy Louie? Oh, I didn't even remember these guys' names. I think it's Louie. Um, Louis sees him busting out, and he's like, "Bring me with you!" And he's making a ruckus. Um, yeah, so Peter, just shut him up. Yeah, yeah, unlock his door and let him out. And then, and then Louis's like, "Oh, but that's my best friend Benny. We can't leave him behind." Now that's I'm making it up. I don't know if that's Benny. Um, and and so Peter's like, "Fine." And so it's like basically the three of them having this breakout from this hospital. And so by the time he gets to the back gate where Nurse Priscilla Presley is meeting him, she's like, I didn't co-sign on to this. And he's like, yeah, there is no romantic interlude. This is a breakout, baby. Yeah, I'm not really sure what ammo he thought he had to overpower her and other than say, like, open the door and let me out. But she doesn't. No, she and, and she goes, you deceived me. How dare you? I can't believe this. She sounds the alarm. The orderlies come out. They knock him down. They carry him. Yeah. 
they carry him away, and she's basically like, I'll get you for this. And yeah. your little dog, too. That's pretty much, that's right. He right. Was, uh, now Dorothy. So, um, meanwhile, while all that has been set up, Amanda and Michael are able to deduce, um, due to some bank withdrawals, um, they break into Kimberly's uh, account using the, her password shrink and find out that in this Sacramento suburb or wherever it is, um, she's made a few withdrawals. And they go there, they go to a coffee shop and find out that this woman has been staying at the local motel. Michael goes to the motel and is able to gather that she is probably coming to and from the Willow Bridge Institute. So, right after Peter's failed attempt to escape and they bring him back in, with Nurse Priscilla Presley still right by the door, even though it's the rear of the Institute, um, Michael and Amanda pull up. Yes. And they try and gain entrance, and they're like, we're looking for a Dr. Peter Burns from Los Angeles. We're colleagues of his. And the nurse is like, there's nobody by the name here. And then and then Michael's like, well, just take a look. And he pulls out a picture of Peter and Amanda looking in love. And, Priscilla, and that only nurse, pisses her off further. Yeah, Nurse Priscilla is not happy about that. And she's like, nope, nobody like that here. See you later. And she basically slams the door in their face and... Amanda doesn't believe that, right? Amanda's like, this is bullshit. Yeah, she does. That... There has to be, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then they... it's the next day, right? Yeah, so they basically make a plot where they're going to, uh, they're going to break in. Yeah. But before we get to that, we should get to what happens the next day when Kimberly finds out about P- Peter's attempted breakout. Yeah, I mean, um, Kimberly slash Betsy uh, is going to give a lobotomy to Peter. (laughs) So, like, basically, Peter's had electroshock therapy, and now he's going to have a light. It's like every, like, crazy mental hospital cliche in the book. They're just talking I forgot. I missed something. One of those two inmates, Larry or Bruce or whoever it is, um, actually makes a call to Michael and Peter's practice. That's right. That's right. He because he because he remembers Doctor Peter Burns, and I get I guess and ends up I guess dialing four one one. Right. So he reaches Sid, who doesn't think any of this makes any sense, and then Sid is on the phone with Michael and tells Michael, and that's when they're like, no, that confirms everything, and that's when they break into Willow Bridge. That's right. And it looks like they're breaking in at the same time that Kimberly's about to put a drill through Peter's Literally head. holding a drill right next to Peter's head. Yeah, and it was great because she was like, and I'm going, you're, the, the anesthesia we're using, you won't feel a thing, but you're going to be awake through the whole operation. And I can't wait to see the light go out behind those eyes or some shit like that. It was yeah, quite very gothic. Yeah, yeah. So it's he's going to be awake for his lobotomy. That is, I did not have a lobotomy, though some may argue otherwise, but when I had my four wisdom teeth removed, it was the same thing. I had a local anesthesia, so I was awake and I couldn't feel anything, but I could hear everything with like them basically taking an ice pick to my teeth. Yeah, I was the same way. I had my, I had my teeth removed the same way. So I feel like I can understand what Peter's about to go through. But I was wondering the truthiness of would you really have a lobotomy and be awake? Um, I'm pretty sure it's not done that way. But you've never seen or read the the book of Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, did you? No, I know. I never read that. There's a very elaborate sequence in which one a, a character... Um, basically has his head sawed open and Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter starts taking out and cooking part of the character's brain at the living room, at the dining room table. Oh, I did see that. I'm sorry. I did see that. And that was disgusting. Yes. And that, and that person continues to function while not feeling what is going on to the top of his head. Sorry to gross you out. And I'm not really confirming any 
AMA guidelines. I'm just saying this is something else that I saw. That is so strange. Strange is one word. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, I guess it's probably feasible talking about different nerves going on that that can happen. I just doubt that it is medically advisable. Right. But I also think nothing that Kimberly has done is medically advisable. Right, and I, but I am mostly wondering about the feasibility because I mean the head is like, it's like I'm touching my head right now, and it's just skin. Yeah. So I don't know. Also, I kind of feel like you don't you don't watch the what you call it the uh, doctor the James Bond movies, do you? Not really. The I guess it was the last one. I'm pretty sure it was the most recent one. They do something similar with the drill in. James Bond's head and like it actually goes in a little bit and he's like his reaction when they eventually like free him and no further brain damage has taken place is like you or I would be if someone interrupted a nap he's like not feeling super great but able to move on so I don't know well but that's James Bond all right well and this is Peter Burns and this is Peter Burns so Peter Burns so we have Amanda and Michael have busted into the hospital with actually a really great scene of, like, Amanda, like, pulling out this, like, big iron rod out of the garbage bin and giving it to Michael. And Michael prying open the gates and then falling backwards, which I thought was really great. I thought that was a nice addition to what had happened. It's great. The one thing I will say about this, aside from liking that Allison stands her ground, is Amanda and Michael as a team, not as a potential couple, are great. They are fantastic. I mean, I wish that, like, she was a doctor or he was an ad guy. They they should have found ways to pair them platonically more. Because yeah. Because them are great. Yeah, and I think he lifts her game. They play, they play, they, they snipe at each other and they play, and they play off of each other really, really well when they're sniping. And Michael is just kind of, like, super lazy and Amanda is super, like... Alpha alpha and we're, yeah alpha and we're getting it done and um and kind of like michael's along for the ride and it's like these really really great moments you know it was almost like moonlighting it's a very much what it's like absolutely yes right like for those but, of you who remember another great 80s show yes oh now i want to watch that show again it was almost like moonlighting before the two of them actually got together exactly you know um but it was like this great like sort of witty banter and they just and they played off of each other really, really well. So that was, that really elevated this, uh, you know, helped or or at least helped me get through this, um, was seeing those two together. But again, even that, it was just so stupid because they were really chasing their tails. Yeah. It's like, how long before you realize that Kimberly is gone and not in Hawaii? How long before this? Yeah. Right, right. So... Um, and our Cliffy, our Cliffy was the, um, the, the drill, uh, headed towards Peter's head. Yeah. I mean, not bad as Cliffy's go. It's just, you know, a dumb story. Right. Right. So I guess next week we'll find out if he's been lobotomized. We'll find out indeed. And, uh, is he even alive? So um, now, is Kimberly back next season? Cause I feel like how, you know, I feel like they worked really hard to redeem her right to make her likable again and redeem her this season remember we talked about that at the beginning of the season like they're bringing kimberly back and how the hell are they going to redeem this woman after she just tried to kill every single person in melrose place with the bomb and i feel like they did all of this work to redeem her and have her forgiven just to like go off the rails again and try and kill peter yeah so she's still around in season five how can they keep justifying this I mean, not very believably. Okay. I, so you just have I to think, roll with it. You, yeah, you have to roll with it, and um, I don't really like anything that they give to Kimberly in the final season, or in the fifth season. And so, but I guess fifth season is her final. Her last, yeah. Okay, uh, she probably ran like hell at that point. My guess is that was all her being like, "All right, I've had enough of this. <laughs> We're done." Um, and then Desperate Housewives happened, so. It was probably... Yeah, but with, like, seven seasons in between, so... Yeah, it was a long time. It was a long time. But still, Desperate Housewives. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, that's the episode. Um, yeah, I mean, several of our characters do have some major sort of cliffies leading into the finale in that what's going to happen with Jane and Richard, um, you know, is Matt really going to be okay? And that's pretty much it because Joe, they don't care about Allison, Jake, they don't care about Billy. No one cares about you. Yeah. Well, boom, there we go. Yeah, we're all, we're almost out of the woods here, Karen. But we still have to suffer through an, you know, 90 minutes of this season four finale. Yeah, so next week's episode of the podcast will uh, be a, a double up just on just on the block. Right, and basically we'll probably be us moaning about it. And yeah, me or perhaps celebrating. Maybe we, should, head. maybe we should pop some champagne because, like, it'll be over. Maybe. We've maybe. done it. It'll be over. Yeah, I'd like to see you like this show again, Karen. I would like to see me like this show again because, like I said, there was just a point – where I just was like, I had 15 minutes to go in the episode, and I said, let me go have some dinner. And I went downstairs, and I was like, and Sid said to me, are you watching Melrose Place? And I said, yeah, and I don't know why. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then she's like, oh, so you've got the podcast with Doug tonight? I'm like, yeah, and I don't know if we should keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, God help me, we got to get through this. I'm not oh, a quitter. I guess I have to clarify in case our listeners don't know. Karen also has a daughter named Sid. So she's not talking about the character speaking to her while she's eating dinner. It's actually her child. Right. No, I don't need a lobotomy. No. I'm not I'm not having conversations with Laura Lee and Sid. I'm actually having conversations with my kid. Oh, Lord. And just for the record, my daughter was not named for Melrose Place Sid. She was actually named for Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. Just a happy accident. Just a happy accident. So, hey, Hala, um, let us know what you think of this god-awful season. And, um, and give us five stars on iTunes. Yes, please. And stay well. And we're going to head on over to Hollywood Boulevard. Um, I have absolutely nothing to say, so it's going to be the Doug show. And he's talking documentaries. He's, got, he's, got, he's seen some shit. That's right. So um, I hope you like the sound of my voice. And there's a rumor that he actually saw something that he liked. Yeah. You can also hear Doug wax on about something that he loved. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person still. Um, yes, <laughs> I have some things to say and one really big... Uh, thumb up, but you you don't know what it's about until you follow us to, on over to Hollywood Boulevard. So we hope to see you there. That's our Cliffy. We'll see you over there. Bye. <laughs>